Hello, and welcome to Grain to Plate, a podcast where we explore everything food from the first grain to the final plate. This is part two of my talk with David Sutherland from March Against Miss. Now, as I mentioned in the first part, me and David covered quite a bit of material, and this is the rest of our interview. Now, as we all know, the GMO debate is heated, yet, unfortunately, the level of interest is not quite at the level that you would expect when it comes to the fact that this affects everything that we eat. GMOs, either love them or hate them, have a place in our food culture. They are the villain and the savior. But this portion of the debate is about the latter. Now, as I mentioned before, I'm still actively reaching out to anti-GMO groups. And once I get a group willing to be interviewed, I will keep you posted. But also, as I mentioned in the previous episode, from here we'll be taking a break from the GMO debate and doing a series on Rachel Carson that will last until the middle to end of September. And if you don't know who Rachel Carson is, yet you consistently find yourself at a Whole Foods or a farmer's market, you should really take a look back at the person that made all of that possible. So with this part two, we explore the pro GMO side of the debate. Um, so the comment, you were conflicting Sanders BST with Clinton's GMO plant seed. This is a problem with painting a broad brush of GMO. Now, when you look at BST or RBST and the fact that it was developed uh, in cooperation with Monsanto, and it is basically a genetically altered antibody or and or organism found within cows. Now, there were plenty of studies about RBST and antibiotics in milk, and especially with young women, and it basically speeding up their development in a lot of cases that were found. And then, of course, that's why you had the backlash about RBST or BST. So do you think, again, uh, that is the problem that it isn't that hard to paint that broad brush on GMO when you have those two cases, you know, pitted against each other? Now, as an animal rights activist, I'm not going to defend RBST. <laughs> um, but, it, but in that issue, it wasn't because it was genetically modified. It was more about... Um, just using that on cows in general and like using chemicals on cows or whatever, and that gets into the people. And so it's kind of funny, right? I'm, so I'm talking about how GMO is not, uh, it can't be a broad brush because it could be anything from this and that, this and that. Now, the same thing is happening with this issue, right? RBST, genetically modified, happened to be such. Um, but that issue wasn't because people were up in, up in arms necessarily because it was genetically modified. Um, I don't think a lot of people understood that. I think they were just afraid of Monsanto throwing chemicals into cows and selling it to people. Uh, if it was a natural, um, uh, not a recombinant uh, application, then I think people would still have a problem with that. I don't think it was so much the genetically modified part. So Sanders talking about that issue wasn't really uh, applicable to genetically modifying of plants. Comment that you had is it is kind of misunderstanding of science that drives, I'm sorry, it is this kind of misunderstanding of science that drives people to perpetuate violence upon animals in a desperate attempt to find harm. Uh, you included a link to vegan GMO. Um, just so you know, uh, the link for some reason was private, but I reached out to the website via Facebook and they gave me what they were sure was the information. And it did make sense and it talked about testing on animals okay, uh, on so, mice in particular. So, yeah, so first of all, I must disclaim that I am on the, I'm a, also a co-founder of vegan GMO. 
and I helped put together. Uh, in fact, the re reason why the website was down was because I was working on a redesign, and I had made a private while I was working on some backend stuff. Um, so the link was to a uh, page of articles about the Seralini study, which I believe that was my comment. Okay, I'm going to cut in here for a quick second. Now, the Seralini study is a very controversial study on the effects of consuming genetically modified organisms in relationship to Roundup, basically meaning that if a plant, and in this study, corn, is genetically modified to be Roundup-resistant, meaning that it can be treated with Roundup, with no effect to the actual corn plant, what is the end result? Now, the results are highly contested. And so the violence perpetrated on animals for anti-GMO is an issue that we're concerned with at Vegan GMO. Um, and like you were talking about with the RBST issue, right? So um, GMOs could be, uh, you know, could you can make anything a GMO, you could do for whatever you want, right? So people eat animals. I'm against people eating animals. Uh, they're gonna, they're GM, they're genetically modifying animals. People can eat them better and faster and more. I do not like that, but I'm still pro GMO um, because I see how that same technology could make it easier, faster, and much uh, cheaper, better to not eat animals. Right? We could take out the middle animal and make um, you know uh, all the animal products we want. So technology is agnostic for me, right? Like, regard depending on whatever your values are, you could use this technology to hurt or harm. And now, um, luckily, most of our scientists are not, um, uh, you know, out there are not supervillains trying to destroy the world. All passionate about helping people, and they're trying to make products to to do that um, and solution to do that. So with the anti, so with the vegan issue, and I'm an animal rights activist, and I look at. Um, the harm that anti-GMO is doing. And I see how they are torturing animals in a desperate attempt to find something about GMO that's bad. In the Seralini study, he was feeding rats um, Roundup, the herbicide, and Roundup-ready plants in a way to show how GMOs hurt. Now, this is the funny part. Like, if there was um, an issue with Roundup, you know, causing cancer, then... And, and that that was accepted by the scientific consensus. Then, you know what we do? We don't throw GMOs out the window. We go, okay, you know what, you guys? No more making Roundup-ready plants. Let's put that on the shelf, and let's make a different plant, um, different kind of solution to to grow to, for agriculture. And that doesn't change anything about GMO being bad or good. It just means that impl implementation of it was bad. Um, so it's really weird that a scientist would make such a – uh, faulty reasoning on this, trying to show harm of GMO. Like, that's not a GMO issue at all. That's just one implementation of the technology. Um, so, and, and I see um, these poor rats, you know, these rats that were, that were all tumored up and uh, made to live in, in this horrible condition just to prove some kind of pseudoscience point. Now, that's where, like, this anti-GMO pseudoscience has a direct has direct harm to animals, animals who I advocate for all the time. Um, so that's why the Seralini study really gets under my skin because, um, you know, this issue could be all abstract and we could talk about how it could help people and make uh, animal alternatives and, and this and that. But when they're going out, out there and making animals suffer directly, just trying to find some kind of harm um, without going through, uh, you know, 
even an ethical board, like I'm not saying that we should test that animals or anything necessarily for this, but but they're, they are doing it more and more. And, and anti-GMO, I hear all the time, they're afraid that its technology is not safe or proven and they want more testing, right? They want generational testing on animals. That's horrible. I, I, I cringe at that thought because they're asking for more and more live to be um, sacrificed for an issue where if they only looked, if they only understood the science a little bit more, understood the, the safety, the consensus of the safety, then we wouldn't have to call for more testing on animals. And so that's where the issue gets personal for me as an animal rights activist. And that's where I see the violence getting perpetrated. Now we're seeing people getting bombed um, for this issue because they're so afraid of genetic engineering and they're bombing scientists and farmers. Um, you know, and there were some letters sent with some substances, but that wasn't shown to be anti-GMO. I don't know who did that, but you know, people are breaking into scientists' offices and it's getting kind of crazy out there. So, um, so yeah, if when when uh, when people are afraid, they get desperate, and and it causes injustice because we we need to know the truth on things, and if we don't have the truth, you know, some some bad stuff can go down. So what I wanted to talk to you about uh, this uh, on this last comment was so there is the testing of Roundup and the negative effects that it has on rats. Yet on the other side of the argument, you have um, Carl Harvon Mogul who had the Kickstarter campaign for the squirrel and corn experiment. So I just want to know from from you where where is that line where you know it was basically it was marketed towards kids to teach them science, which I understand teaching children science is always a great thing, but it also involved animal testing. So just from you, where where is that line drawn? Yeah, you know that's funny because I participated in the corn experiment, and um, it was when I got the kit and I'm like we're getting ready to do that. I realized, oh my gosh, this is animal testing, right? <laughs> now I don't make, mean to make light of that because um, animal testing, uh, you know, kills animals. Um, but the the reason why the Carl's corn experiment was based on um, People with like memes or pictures of people posting saying like, look, even squirrels won't eat BT corn. This is about BT corn. Um, by the way, Roundup is perfectly safe. Rats don't get tumors um, via the science um, understanding of it. So BT corn is similar where BT is a very benign herbicide, um, pesticide, sorry, insecticide um, that's in um, corn. So they're showing, people are trying to show that look, I have a, some corn here that's all eaten. I have some corn here that's not eaten. It's because this one's organic and this one's BT, right? So when there's a um, falsifiable opportunity, scientists go crazy, right? They wanna go, okay, here's a opportunity for outreach and education. And this is something that people could participate in and something easy enough that everybody can do. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity that Carl uh, was able to get together. The scientific consensus on BT is that it's safe. I would never, you know, I uh, recently, my wife recently had a son and um, get, we had three vaccines just today, actually. We, we took him to the doctor for his one-year checkup. And I understand vaccines to be safe. A lot of people think they're poison and toxic and all that stuff and would never do that. Now, I trust science and experts that enough to, um, to uh, have this done to my son. And in a similar vein, I was not afraid of harming the local wildlife in my backyard. 
all I knew was what was going to happen was some squirrels would get, you know, a pretty fat belly on eating a bunch of corn. Um, that was not going to hurt them. Uh, so we, you know, as scientists, as a scientist or a citizen scientist in this case, um, you have to kind of suspend your, you, know, you have a hypothesis, but you have to suspend your um, conclusion and go like, well, I'm going to just test it. Now, it, in that case, maybe, yes, I was testing on animals. And if, if I was more, if I was less biased, I might not have, I should have participated as an animal rights activist because there might have been a chance that it would cause harm to squirrels or one squirrel would uh, prefer one over the other and maybe that would cause harm. But I'm completely uh, convinced by um, the scientists that BT is safe and benign for mammals to eat, particularly squirrels and, and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, maybe I, it was an infraction on my part, but I don't think any animals got hurt. You know, I'll be completely honest and transparent. I am no scientist. Me either. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I just know, you know, of course, everything that they teach you in basic chemistry, that if it's not organic and it's on your food, don't eat it. You know, just the basic, you know, blunt answer that you get in high school. Um, so with you now, you've said multiple times that Roundup is safe. Now, Correct. being the fact that you are you're vegan. Mm hmm. So with vegan GMO, then what is your stance on organic food? Being that, you know, with organic food, you for certified to be certified organic, you cannot use any type of herbicide. Um, well, I shouldn't say any type of herbicide, but you cannot use commercial herbicides like Roundup. Synthetic herbicides. Yeah, synthetic herbicides. Thank you. So with that being said, do you also consider yourself pro-organic or are you okay with traditional farming? Oh, wow. You know, I could talk for days on that question. Um, but first of all, I want to say vegan GMO um, does not have a platform on organics. We have no message about that. Um, I think we just want whatever is best for everybody, all animals, including humans, <laughs> and um, also march against uh, myths. We do not have any stance on organic I do have a personal stance, which I'm happy to talk about, but this is not, I'm um, not representing my organizations here. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I think it's great that uh, people in developing countries could get a good markup on agricultural goods that they could sell to us developed world people and that makes them richer and gives them more resources to help them. Um, I want people to eat as many plants and be as fit and nutritious as possible. I do not want them eating animals. So I have a bias in, um, people, um, in trying to get the, trying to get food that is not animals into people's mouths. So as much as possible, I want to see food as cheap as possible and as accessible as possible and as nutritious and available. Right. So um, it's a big issue in a lot of communities where people don't have access to fresh foods and vegetables and and we're feeding them all kinds of, uh, you know, high uh, nutri you know, caloric and sodium dense, uh, all, you know, junk foods, basically. Although I hate the word junk food, too, because I think food is vilified a lot. And if anybody can get any calories, sometimes that's just going to help them out. And so I don't want to shame food. I think there's been too much shaming of food in our culture. But we could always do better. And but but right now, what we need to do is get people fed. And, I don't, and you know, we got to just help that. So, with the organic issue, um, 
it's you know people have the uh, uh, choice to grow organic and i don't want to take that away from them or or anything i think everybody should do what they want but but uh, you know or the organic in industry is going after gmo and i think the values of organic and how they're trying to make um I, you know the values of organic i used to be big into organic so i understand the values of organic i know i understand people want to do best for the environment and stuff i i see people um traditional farming too want to do best for their environment they're gonna you know i i've ridden along with farmers you know and uh, talked to them and they don't want to hurt their land anymore an organic farmer does but you can't say all you know we can we not all farmers or whatever so there are a lot of smart farmers out there on both sides and i appreciate that they're trying to do what's best for the environment but as we know just because it's quote unquote natural or synthetic doesn't mean it's bad or good that's a fallacy because we know a lot of natural substances that could be horrible for the environment or health and vice versa for things that we create synthetically um it's just rearranging of uh, molecules so like um it's not a good distinction of what's natural so i would like so organic defines themselves by their limits there's nothing that a traditional there's nothing organic does that a traditional farmer cannot do right so if you're a traditional farmer you can do anything i mean within um you know the reason and laws and stuff you could do you can use any tool at your disposal you could utilize anything any of those technologies as an organic farmer you're limited now the way those limits are set needs to be um understood and like if i don't believe, i think it started off as those limits were what's natural or not although now if you look at those um that huge list of things they could can and can't do um it's you know they'll start uh, picking and choosing oh, okay well that's that's not as natural but it does better for the environment so let's include it in and this kind of thing so it's getting really hazy and the the definition of what organic mean doesn't really mean much anymore it's anything anymore it's more of a marketing gimmick trying to get people to pay more for something and uh capitalizing on their fear which i think is very unfortunate cuz i think we need less fear around food we have too much baggage around food like i was just talking about so let's reduce that baggage let's do what's best for what's best for the environment let's you know if you wanted to have some kind of meaningful label let's look at the inputs the outputs the you know the carbon all these things we can do um but we're in stuck in this rut of organic versus not and it's unfortunate and i think organic could greatly benefit by some of the tools that gm could offer them that's uh you know cuz genetic modification is a, it's just a more natural process all that is is we're understanding the language of nature we're understanding that how you know dna works and we're just uh, rearranging that and it's a it's a more natural process than anything cuz we understand more about nature instead of um you know just saying well what this is natural because it came from a plant or came from some kind of natural source that preexisted um you know which is uh you know unlike like getting uh nitrogen from the air or whatever so um so yeah my my stance on organic i think it's um i don't i don't um i i think it's uh i i don't buy it <laughs> So as much as possible I try to avoid organic but because I'm vegan all my products happen to be vegan or well, most of the uh processed foods um are sorry have been happen to be organic uh but I so I'm not strict about it because I know it's not um you know it's not a campaign that's making a huge difference but uh but I think it's unfair to pay more for food uh especially when there's no uh, benefit to it um uh, for any other reason So now the debate does not stop here again still anxiously waiting to hear from the anti-GMO side. But as mentioned before, I'm going to take a break from this series. 
to release episodes on Miss Rachel Carson and her legacy and her history. And after that, I hope to be able to pick up this debate once again and be able to offer the argument from the anti-GMO side. Now, also, I should make quite clear that I have no bias either way at this current time on the GMO debate. If you've listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know that I understand the lengths that people are willing to go in order to be able to buy food. And my main concern is that all of us have access to affordable and safe food, either it be from science or from nature. Safe, affordable food is a priority because at the end of the day, sometimes the means does justify the ends. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grain to Plate. I will be back in a couple of weeks with the first episode on the series about Miss Rachel Carson. This episode was produced by myself, Jonathan Tate.